and welcome to BF News. I'm Sophie and this is our weekly roundup of all the latest updates from the world of British fencing. A very special welcome to all of our members and hello to new listeners. Thanks for your support. Don't forget British Fencing offers a free 90-day introduction to fencing membership so you can join and support our sport. There's info on the Become a Member link on the homepage of our website britishfencing.com. Coming up this week, we have more medal reports from the Junior and Cadet European Championships in Novosad. Lorraine Rose has joined the team at British Fencing and Homes for Ukraine, how the fencing community in the UK can get involved and help. If you'd like to share an event or a story from your club, please email media at britishfencing.com. Lorraine Rose has joined the team as Workforce Development Officer at British Fencing. Building on the established BF coaching framework, Lorraine will be responsible for developing CPD opportunities across the workforce, looking at areas such as minimum operating standards and online learning and communities of practice. Working with the community to develop a diverse workforce, an important part of Lorraine's role will be addressing barriers that may stand in the way of marginalised groups accessing workforce development opportunities. Lorraine is making a career change in joining the BF team as she comes to us from a science background where she has over 30 years of experience as a molecular biologist at Edinburgh University. Lorraine may be familiar to many in our community as she has been a volunteer in fencing for over 20 years, taking on many roles including events volunteer, coach, team manager and welfare officer. And here's Lorraine sharing how she's getting started at BF. I am delighted to be joining British Fencing. It will be so challenging to take on a role that's not science-based, but as a long-term member of the volunteer workforce, I'm very excited to be able to play a part in the development of our people. So welcome to Lorraine. Anti-doping education for all British fencing members, clean sport education for all. As part of the athlete development programme training back in December in 2021, we delivered three anti-doping education sessions aimed at different audiences depending on their prior education. So to help support fencers to compete clean, understand their rights and responsibilities and recognise the risks, we're now putting on a series of sessions every two months designed for all competitive fencers. These will be delivered over Zoom and they last for about 90 minutes. Please note spaces are limited and we will close the registration as soon as the session is full. So the next session is on the 4th of April at 6 o'clock. If you'd like to take part, you can register via the form that's available on this news item on our website. So look out for the anti-doping education for all British fencing members. We'd like to recommend all athletes, support personnel, perhaps parents, coaches, SNC coaches, any other sports science expert, do one of the online courses developed by UK Anti-Doping. They're open to all and they're on the UCAD Clean Sport Hub at www.ucad.org.uk forward slash about clean sport hub. I just wanted to draw your attention as well to some updates. We've had official notification from the FIE about some changes to a number of senior international competitions. If this involves you or one of our senior fencers or part of the support team, I would ask you to head to our website, britishfencing.com. The calendar has been updated there. That's the BF Master Competition Calendar, the FIE Competition Calendar. And there's a summary of all of those changes and the dates. So that's available on our website now. And now we head to the medal reports from the Cadet and Junior Europeans in Novosad. There was a few more to share with you. So Cook confirmed his credentials with the European bronze. Jamie Cook ended his European Cadet Under-17 career on a high, claiming the individual Cadet Men's Foil Bronze Medal at the Cadet and Junior European Championships in Novosad. Having taken bronze at the EFC Cadet Circuit earlier in 
the season in Cabris, Cook lined up in a field of 77. He stormed through his pool winning every match and conceded just seven hits, which gave him the number one ranking for the knockout phase of the competition. A bye through the incomplete round of 64 was followed by victories, including one over his teammate Callum Benman, 15-6, to make the semi-finals. With the bronze medal secured, he faced Hungary, seeded 13th after the pools, for a place in the final. Cook started strongly in the first period with a series of fast attacks and counter riposts to take a 5-0 lead before the fences traded hits to 9-4. However, the Hungarian's confidence in his pressing game grew with slow developing attacks combined with riposts. Cook went into the first break with a two-hit lead, but the momentum had swung in the direction of Budahazi. And after the break, both fences traded hits to 13-11 before the Hungarian returned to his tactic of slowing Cook down, creating the timing to make four late cut reposts against running attacks and take the victory 15-13. On his performance, Cook said, I felt confident going into the individual event. I was happy with my performance in the pools, but I knew I would have a hard draw. I drew De Cristofaro Italian in my first DE fight, a fencer I'd gone out to in Budapest earlier in the season. I've come away with lots of work on for the Wales in April. I'd like to thank British Fencing, Leon Paul and Sports Aid Scotland for their support. Also my family and coach for their guidance, my club, Salah Hollywood, for creating a brilliant training environment and my teammates for making it an amazing experience. Jamie is an athlete on British Fencing's Athlete Development Programme, the ADP, funded by Sport England. You can find out more about the ADP on our website. Brooke Bond's place in history with second medal. Alec Brooke ended his European cadet, that's under 17, career on the podium, taking bronze in the cadet men's FA individual event at the Cadet and Junior European Championships in Novosad. The medal followed on from the silver he'd won in the junior individual event, showing his dedication and achievement at the weapon with a strong potential to build. He began his day by storming to the top seed position for the elimination stages, winning every fight in his pool and dropping just eight hits. That is some going in this event. A bye through the round of 128 was followed by victories over Corbu, Widmer, Pietrobelli and Lasik for a place in the semi-finals. Brooks' next opponent, Alan Syred, a right-handed pommeler, had a clear tactical plan from the outset. Once Syred gained the first point, he switched to his defensive strategy and operated with patience from a long distance, ready to retreat quickly away from Brooks' fast attacks, scoring with well-timed stop hits and counter-attacks. In the first period, Brooke was given a P, passivity, yellow card when he was 4-1 down. That tactically played into his opponent's game plan. The card forced him to take risks during the fight or face a penalty hit for passivity. By the second break, Sarid was 12-5 ahead and the Israeli went on to win the fight 15-7. Although Brooke was visibly disappointed, his bronze medal place, this his fourth EFC medal of the season, means he nonetheless finishes the season as Europe's number one cadet men's epaist. Speaking after the fight, he said after defeating a number of tough opponents in a difficult draw, he was gutted to lead a semi-final, but of course still pleased with another podium finish. Ian Litchfield added, Alec has taken medals at four out of the five EFC Under-17 events that he has attended this season. This is a fantastic achievement and he, his family and his personal coach, Tamas, should be deservedly proud. Today, Alec lost to an opponent whose style of fencing he had never experienced before and on this occasion could not find the answers. Alec is so determined and has a bright future ahead of him. I have no doubt that this last match will act as a learning point for him. And Alec is also an athlete on British Fencing's Athlete Development Programme.
The cadet women's foil team bagged Euro bronze. Elliot, Johnson, Stutchbury and Sang brought home bronze from the podium at the cadet and junior Europeans. The bronze medal playoff, arguably the hardest match in sport and the most important. What a performance it was from Megan Elliott, Isabella Johnson, Carolina Stutchbury and Amelie Sang to win the bronze medal in Serbia. The team, spurred on by their individual performances, began the day ranked fourth and after a bye quickly dealt with Spain, coming out 45-24 victors. Israel were a potential banana skin in the quarterfinals, but the British quartet put in an amazing performance to win 45-33. That gave them a semi-final match with Italy, which was always going to be a tight affair, with a lot of emotions at play. Each of the legs were close, with key moments swinging the momentum of the match. By the start of the fifth, Great Britain trailed 12-18, but never looked too far from the challenge, as the score had been kept low. This allowed for the opportunity for one of the members of the team to take on that challenge and Sang stepped up superbly, winning her second leg to give the GBR team a 24-23 lead. The Italians weren't derailed, however, and took the next two legs to gain the lead back 35-32. In the penultimate leg, Stutchbury methodically unpicked her opponent, giving Great Britain a three-hit advantage 40-37, going into the final leg. Sang started the anchor leg with a yellow card for a faulty weapon. At 41.38, Molinari, the newly crowned cadet champion, heavily influenced by her coach, highlighted to the referee that Sang may have been covering with her back arm. This led to a series of video calls and interruptions from the Italian box, resulting in a number of red cards for Sang. Noticeably affected by this, Sang started to hold the back pocket of her breeches to avoid another card. At 44 all, the match went into the priority minute with the Italian finding the final touch. Spurred on by the disappointment of the semi-final defeat, the British team set out their plan early to control the lead from the first leg. By the second leg, Tsang and then Johnson had put the team into a commanding five-point lead, which was then never closed throughout the match. By the fifth leg, the spirit of the Hungarian team had dropped and Great Britain had deservedly earned a 25-9 lead. Tsang, Johnson and Stutchbury won convincingly 45-19. This result matched their previous bronze medal performance in Budapest earlier in the season. And the cadet men's foil team, silver lining, the most successful major youth championships for Great Britain, ended on a high note as Jamie Cook, Callum Penman, David Sosnoff and Nye Olfetz Kilpatrick won the cadet men's foil team silver at the cadet and junior Euros in Novosad. Ranked number one for the elimination stages after their individual performances, they had a bye through the individual round of 32 and went on to beat Austria 45-19. to and Latvia 45-27 to to earn themselves a place in the semi-final against opponents Italy. The first leg went to the Italians, but a measured bout from Penman set up the next leg for Sosnov, who, by using timing and distance to execute his stop hits, swung the momentum of the match, winning the third leg 11-5. Through the next three bouts, the British team maintained and built a lead to 30-24. Penman, in fine form, dispatched his opponent 5-0. With the momentum firmly with the British team, they professionally closed out the match 45-29, to setting up the final with the Hungarians. The gold medal match in the opening leg of the final saw Cook initiate an early lead. Penman secured the second against the individual silver medalist Balland and Sosnov increased the margin against newly crowned cadet champion Budahazi to 15-9. The gold medal, however, started to slip away from the British team in the last three legs. A strong performance from Budahazi winning his bout 12-3 put Hungary in front. With GBR now forced to take the fight on, the defensive strengths of their opponents proved too much. The victors, Hungary, won 45-42. to And their coach, Keith Cook, said the boys were just brilliant today and worked so hard for each other.
As the Junior and Cadet European Championships drew to their close, it is worth highlighting that four GBR fencers achieved quarter-final finishes in their individual events. Julia Caron in the Junior Women's Epee, sixth, Carolina Stuchbury in Cadet Women's Foil, seventh, and in Cadet Men's Foil, David Sosnov, sixth, and Callum Penman, seventh. Chef de Mission, Ian Litchfield, concluded with a broad brushstroke portrait of the growth experienced at the Championships, as well as a nod to the future, saying the event demonstrated that the athletes' performances weren't just about medals, but supporting and witnessing the GB women's EPE team doing the right thing in the right way, through personal sacrifice, to stand up for something truly bigger than sport. It was very humbling. Recognition should also be given to the personal and ADP coaches and parents and staff that supported the athletes in their development to get to this position. And with the World Championships around the corner, our attention has now turned to the final preparations for Dubai in a few weeks' time to build on what we have achieved. And so all the team are on BF's Athlete Development Programme, funded by Sport England. Do check out more about that on our website. Homes for Ukraine. British fencing is working with the Ukrainian Fencing Federation to connect members of the Ukrainian fencing community fleeing Ukraine with British fencing members in the UK willing to offer their homes under the UK government Homes for Ukraine scheme. BF is currently working with the Ukrainian Fencing Federation to help connect Ukrainian fencing families with hosts, sponsors, from the fencing community in the UK under the Ukraine Sponsorship Scheme. There's information about this available on the government website, so that's applying for a visa under the Ukraine Sponsorship Scheme, and also the homesforukraine.campaign.gov.uk link. We recognise that the ability for people to remain involved with their sports will be an important aspect of adapting to life in the UK. By offering homes within our fencing community with opportunities to attend local clubs, we hope that we can better support Ukrainian fencing families during this time. So if you are interested in being a sponsor, there is a form available on our website. Please complete that. It's available on this news item called Homes for Ukraine. And we will do our best to match you with one of the families or individuals looking for a home in the UK. We will start off by providing you with the basic information. That's the number of people in the family and their names and ages and gender and the families that would match the information you provide. And if you'd like to take it to the next stage, we will facilitate the direct connection between you and the family seeking a home. This process will be supported by a team of BF volunteers, which will include welfare officers. Once the connections are made and both parties decide to go ahead, you as the sponsor, together with the people arriving, will still need to go through the UK government process. So do please check that out on the government website, homesforukraine.campaign.gov.uk. Muslim Girls Fence wow the audience at Women of the World Festival. Muslim Girls Fence, MGF, had the great pleasure of attending the Women of the World Festival at the South Bank on Friday the 11th of March. Each year, to mark International Women's Day on the 8th of March, world-class speakers, activists and performers from around the world come together for the WOW Festival. The three-day celebration featured an extensive lineup of famous artists and performers, including MGF, who took to the stage in a multidiscipline piece that blended fencing with the powerful poetry of Parat Rakaya Fatuga. MGF fencers Rabina Begum and her fellow fencer from Birmingham, Sarah Anafawosi, who regularly fence at the Ladywood Leisure Centre, impressed the audience on the opening day of the festival with such a graceful and sensational piece of art. The applause at the end of the day boasted the loudest. 
Rihar Uller, Projects and Programs Manager from MGF, said Rikaya Fatuga's poetry spoke of the marginalisation of women and women from a particular faith and always being judged by those as a way of life from those around us. We were honoured to leave the MGF mark at such a prestigious event, which has further raised the profile for community fencing, and we look forward to bringing MGF to a space near you. The event took place in the middle of Women's History Month as BF focuses on women in fencing for the month of March. The performance was also attended by BF's CEO, Georgina Asher, BF's Head of Participation, Virginia Bailey, and Raheel Mohammed, the Director of Maslaha, our partner with MGF. Muslim Girls Fence is a collaboration between BF and Maslaha that aims to facilitate spaces at a grassroots level, centering the needs of Muslim women and girls and open to all women, challenging assumptions and narratives relating to their gender, racial, religious and other identities through fencing and creative expression. And talking of MGF, our podcast of the week is Women in Fencing, a conversation with Muslim Girls Fence. This week's recommendation is a conversation recorded by MGF as we discuss, again, women in fencing this March. In this podcast, we hear from a group of athletes, women of colour, who have competed in fencing at both national and international levels. With this one, we asked them about what inspired them to pick up a sword and motivated and propelled them to success and gain an insight into the positive impact fencing has had on these women's lives. The athletes also talk openly about the barriers they faced and the challenges that they had to overcome on their journeys. The challenges of being both women and women of colour in environments where they were not truly welcomed, supported or respected as equals and the impact it's had on them. To break down these barriers, we need to listen to those willing to talk openly about experiences, however uncomfortable this might make us feel, and take positive action to prevent others from having similar experiences, both inside and outside of sport. So this episode was produced and recorded by Muslim Girls Fence, and I'm going to leave you with it to finish this week, Women in Fencing, a conversation with Muslim Girls Fence. In this podcast... Brought to you by Muslim Girls Fence, a collaboration between British Fencing and Maslaha, we hear from four athletes, black women and women of colour who have competed in fencing from national to international level. We hear about what inspired these women to pick up a sword and what motivated them and propelled them to success. We will hear stories about family support, about victories and defeat, about the bonds formed with fellow competitors and gain an insight into the positive impact fencing has had on these women's lives. But the athletes also talk openly about the barriers that they faced and had to overcome on their journeys. They talk about the challenges of being both women and women of colour in environments where they were not truly welcomed, supported or respected as equals, and the resulting impact this has had on them. To break down these barriers, not just in sport but in wider society, we need to listen to those willing to talk openly about their experiences, however uncomfortable this might make us feel. We must take positive action to prevent others having similar experiences inside and outside of sport. We must also recognise and overcome biases in our own thoughts and behaviours in order for us to create positive, sustainable change in attitudes and environments. For those of us in positions of authority, We have the power and responsibility to make systematic change. This isn't just about sports coaches, club leaders or CEOs of national governing bodies of sport like myself. It is a wider ask across the whole system 
that affects the lives and opportunities of young black women and women of colour. In the future, we want many more black women and women of colour to achieve success in sport and be able to share and celebrate this success together. Importantly, we want their success to be supported by the system, not be in spite of the system. We start by listening. Hi guys, thank you guys so much for being here today. So just to start off, if you could each go around and introduce yourselves a little bit. My name's Alia. I have been fencing sabre since I was um, nine, so very long time now. Fencing has been a huge part of my life and I've been on the GB team since I was about 15, so almost 10 years now. And it's been amazing. Um, and I'm really excited to be able to share some of those experiences with you today. Hi everyone, my name's Aisha Pahosey. Um, I've been fencing for about, oh God, I don't know, about 13, 14 years, maybe more. Um, I fenced foil. Um, I've been to a few world and few European championships representing GB and also Commonwealths as well. As well as fencing, I um, work as well full time. So I try to balance both of them out, but that's me. Um, so my name's Mercedes. I've been fencing for around six years. I used to be a hepth athlete, um, but then kind of transitioned to fencing in my middle like teens. Now I'm a fencing coach. I'm kind of more leaning towards fencing coaching as opposed to competing. And I fence and coach Epe, but I also do a bit of sabre and a foil as well. I'm Leah King. I'm 25 years of age. I started fencing when I was 11. I fenced foil and absolutely fell in love. I tried all um, weapons and foil just caught me. I was in the GB team when I was 12 and I have been fencing for about 10 years. So I stopped when I was 21. Unfortunately, I became sick with a brain tumour and became deaf and partially sighted. I still keep in contact with fencing and I still hear about it, but yeah, I've stopped now. I now work, I'm a forex trader and I have a family of my own. So my first question for you guys is, what inspired you to become a fencer? When I was 11, I qualified for the England netball team and we was doing the training and um, with my team that I had, Everything was going great, but I felt like when we did lose, I was the only one upset. Um, everyone was kind of like, yeah, you know, great, right, team, it's okay. And I was, I was really upset. So then my mom's school friend got me into fencing and I didn't have a clue what it was. He was like, yeah, you know, like Zora. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then we came to this fencing club, but I didn't realise it was only for adults. They actually thought that I was an adult when... Um, yeah when I was 11 and they were like yeah like you're really great um you should go into our opens didn't know what they, that was they were talking about and I said to them you know like uh I'm 11 then all of a sudden um they were like yeah you know this thing called Leon Paul I mean my first competition I lost to Aisha but I came third so I was like I'm actually let me let me try again and then let me try again <laughs> every single time after that <laughs> And um, yeah, I kind of just stayed and I was like, yeah, by that rule, done. Um, with my one, it was a bit more simpler. Like I, my dad fenced and I just wanted to do something that my dad enjoyed as well. He took me along to his fencing club and I just fell in love with it straight away. It was just so different to athletics that everyone did or whatever the sport was. So yeah, I just went along with fencing and I loved it. 
Yeah, I kind of have a similar story to Aisha as well. Um, saying my dad used to fence. Um, he kind of like took sports super seriously when he was younger and was out on the GB team for athletics. And then kind of similar to me, tried to transition to fencing, but kind of in the 80s, um, like people just didn't want to fence black fences essentially. And he just found that no one was kind of picking up on his talent. So he kind of gave up on the sport and I grew up like knowing about fencing um but I was doing loads of other sports when I was younger and then eventually like when I was in my teens I started fencing so for me uh it was it was a little bit in my family actually like Aisha because my um, my dad's side of the family is Polish originally and it's quite a big sport in Poland um as you might know and so my my dad didn't fence but his dad did so I had kind of like heard about it. So that was sort of how I knew that fencing existed because that's always like the first step. It's like, oh, never heard of that. So I had heard of it. Um, and then I was actually really lucky that they had it at my brother's school. So I w went to a girl's school in London and the, the boys' school had a fencing club and I managed to get myself in there and going to the club that was in that, um, that space. So that was quite lucky. That's fantastic. Lots of lots of uh, family lineage going on here, the fencing. My next question for you guys is, what was the highlight of your fencing career? Okay, there's one particular um, time for me. I think it was it was my last year of juniors, and I to be I, I was getting towards the end of not wanting to fence anymore because I my love for the sport was slowly dying out because it felt so just too much. Um, and it it was just me and my coach at the time, um, Tomek, and I felt a real connection and a strong connection with him whilst we were there. And I ended up winning the bronze medal at the World Cup. And at that moment, it wasn't just the win that brought back my love, but it was the feeling you get with it. And just that, honestly, the adrenaline that comes with it. And it was just amazing. So that was probably um, a time that really stood out for me. Mine is somewhat similar. Well, I guess I kind of had two sort of medal memories, but I think the one that was most special was that my club in London, which you might be familiar with, Camden, we used to host a Cadet World Cup. My last year of being a cadet, I came second at that, which was really special because it was at home and you know, my family was there. Some of my friends came to watch and it was really cool to be able to um, be on the podium like at home in the same hall where I trained and stuff. So I think one of the highlights of my fencing career was when, um, so it was um, this program um, throughout the Olympics called the Ambition Program. It was for um, younger athletes to get inspiration and um, it's very much a team vibe but through all um, sports. Now, for me, the reason why that was a highlight of my fencing career, not only did I get chosen and selected for it with Alia, we had some great memories there, but it was because um, we ended up on BBC News. Now, with that, it was something that my great-grandma saw me in. When I first started fencing, she was like, oh, you know, I'll be pounding you. So we're Jamaican, so there was a lot of passion in that, but she wanted to see me on the news, and... Um, she actually got to see me on the news and she was so happy she was crying. Like I thought that I made her proud before she passed because that's the only thing that she wanted to do and see me do. Um, I felt like I really achieved and 
you know, when I did stop fencing, I didn't think that I left anything behind because I'd done everything that I needed to do. I just needed to make sure that I was happy. I guess for me, my memories of fencing are kind of different in terms of being a coach. Just in general, like, I've gone into, like, a lot of new spaces with kids that have, like, never touched a sword, like, never even, like, thought about fencing as a possibility. Quite recently, um, I don't know if you know Curtis Miller, but we both went to coach at this event at the Copper Box. And um, I just started kind of, like, working with Camden Fencing Club then. Um, so I hadn't worked with that many kids before. I'd worked with, like, older, co- um, older fencers. Um, and it was just really cool because there were so many, like, kids of colour and kids from, like, state schools and stuff that we were giving taster sessions to. And, like, seeing how how accessible fencing should be and how easy it is to pick up and how much like kids enjoy it was just like like made me feel so good because it reminded me why I like being a coach and like the good things about kind of being a community coach as well. So my next question for you all is what was the biggest hurdle you've had to overcome? My one was um, last year at the British Championships I was going into my DE fight um, and I'd, I'd actually had quite a strong morning, so I was quite confident about the day. Um, and then I got a call from my dad to tell me that my grandma was about to pass away. So I had to leave the competition and rush to the hospital. And that was, I unfortunately didn't make it, but following that event, I think I took a bit of a step back from fencing. So that was probably the biggest hurdle that I've had, um, losing somebody so close to me. Um, was very hard but then like Leah has touched on earlier all your parents and your grandparents want to see is you be the best person you can be so it was it's been more of a drive now for me to just try and achieve as much as I can but yeah that was probably the the big hardest hurdle I've had to jump over. I think um, one of um, I would say a big hurdle for me was pretty much when I first started because I realized that when you go into a sport it's kind of like you're you're willing to make friends I mean it gets a bit awkward at the beginning kind of like hey like are you fencing next and things like that the com- the conversations alone um, trying to make friends in the sport um, is hard um, but when you realize that no one looks like you and no one speaks like you and you you realize it's kind of like you walk in and you realize you don't fit that was a hurdle to be like okay well do I continue how much do you actually love this sport is it just the results that you have why you you stay there or is it a passion that you actually have and you know you say to yourself okay well I really do love this sport so whether they like you or not here I am do you know what I mean and I think me accepting that um because at the time I did have those thoughts in my head and me and my parents had a discussion. I don't think that it was easy for me to to fit because I didn't feel like people understood me. Now that I'm older, I don't know if I gave people the chance to understand me. I think the barrier was up straight away. However, you know, they made it clear that I didn't speak proper English and things like that. And it was just kind of like people kept correcting me and I can hear it. So it was just kind of like, okay, well, forget you. I'll just do my own thing over here. But it was... Um, it was really like not a mix and blend kind of follow through. I felt like I couldn't apologize that I got the results that I did. And now that I'm older, you know, was it really because they didn't like me or was it because I just made the results? I just kind of turned up. I didn't understand. I didn't know what pools are. I didn't know how to do the maths to know who I'm fencing in round 
whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, you know, I just can't. <laughs> I just didn't get it. I was just like, right, fence the person you're in front of, and well, that was it. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that was a hurdle where, like, I, I made sure that I was here to stay, and I kind of changed my mindset where it was kind of like, okay, well, the more I feel uncomfortable, the more I have to stay. Um, the more people treat me, the more I have to teach them, not cuss them, not leave them in their ignorance. I have to teach them and show them who I am. Unfortunately, when I raise my voice, it, it comes, it, people say that it comes across aggressive, but if they really want me to talk, then I can. And that was the issue. I had to learn how to find a way to make them understand who I am. It's not what they read in books or what they see on the news or, you know, what people from block estates are from because that's where I'm from and I'm I'm not apologizing for it I'm not apologizing for the area or who I am you know so that was one of the toughest hurdles and unfortunately had it so young but my parents stopped me from being angry because they already they already knew what time it was do you know what I mean we all walked in at the same time and they were like whoa okay Leah so this is what's gonna happen you might get this you might get that and it's quite sad to, to have that conversation so young but it has to happen you know but no that was one of the big hurdles that I had and to be honest actually if it wasn't for you and and Nick and um do you remember Olivia Debo there was a another black girl who's slightly older than us if I didn't see them then it would definitely be more of a struggle and even Ali I was like oh my gosh like yeah. and Ali and your mom and I was like oh my gosh she's so tall like me oh, everyone's just short and I was just thinking oh my gosh like do you know what I mean so it was definitely a vibe and um, if it wasn't for you guys, for sure, I, I don't know. I'd mostly go back to netball <laughs> and figure out something. No, I Because I used to look forward to the competitions that I knew you guys would be at. Yeah. So if I knew it would just be me, I'd be like, oh, God, do I have to go? <laughs> I'm sure I used to call you and be like, oh, so, so you're going to Sheffield, yeah? Are you going to Cambridge? Yeah, are you, are you going? Right, I'm going. So what hotel are you staying at? Literally. I think it's like, it's one of those things when when you start to travel the domestic circuit, like in the UK, you start, you, you realise how much of a bubble London is and how yeah. much we're used to being surrounded by diversity. And then you go to some of these cities where we have these open and you suddenly feel aware of your race in a way that you don't at all in your day-to-day -day life. And like, I, I really appreciate like being a part of this call, but I, I feel like it's important for me to like first say that I'm not black and that I have not had to face a lot of the racism that like these ladies have. I think something that we, that I can relate to though is, is just sort of feeling like an outsider in the sport. Um, because I think, you know, no matter if you're, if you're anything else, if you're BAME, um, like it's not, um, it's not common to see people like us in this sport. Um, but I will say that I'm, I'm humbled in the presence of these ladies because the stuff that they've had to deal with that I've seen is way worse than what I had to deal with. But I think it's, it's interesting. Like I was very fortunate to have Camden Fencing Club because I think that we all had each other and like I had these these ladies as friends as well, which was amazing. I think having like the the people that I grew up with at Camden, like Curtis, who's already been mentioned, and other fencers like Soggy, like because we were kind of growing up in the sport together and we went to the competitions together, we kind of like had each other as a community, which was really nice. Um, so I would say um, friends are really important, and 
also somewhat interestingly like Leah I remember having a conversation with my mum once when I was really young in like a Leon Paul Jr series and she said like you know you've got to be twice as good if you want to win because they're all talking that saying that you're you know the one that they don't want to win because you're not the hometown girl and she was like you're never going to be the hometown girl because you have a funny name and you don't look English and you're going to have to win by a clear margin if you want to win because you know if it's 14 all and there's two lights you've got to make it really yeah. clear and that's yeah. with life as well like we do sometimes have to work twice as hard if not we do 100% right. I mean, like, if it's 14 or everyone, you you know, you can just, people don't have to say it, you can kind of feel it. And sometimes it's like, oh, you know, maybe it was just me. No, it's true. Everyone wants the other person to win, you know, and that is just an added pressure, but it's how you deal with it. It's how you deal with it and transfer the energy into knowing that you can fence and you are a good fencer and knowing what you do have. Listen, you've trained too hard to not get this you know what I mean you know what you're doing and that's how you're supposed to transfer it it's not like oh my gosh well that's it let's throw in the towel you know <laughs> like no yeah it's true 100% right Olya it's kind of similar to what you've all been saying in terms of like being one of the few like female females of color within a fencing club um like throughout my short fencing career like I did struggle paying for competitions like kind of understanding the circuit um understanding what competitions I needed to go to to get to like the national team and stuff so I kind of got quite lost within that um like I've just kind of started university this year and I've kind of taken a step back from competing because I'm in that stage where I'm not too sure like what I want out of fencing but for me, like, my sort of saving grace is being able to coach and still being able to be in the sport, still being able to, like, fence people kind of informally and stuff um, and having, like, opportunities to, like, meet new fences and listen to their kind of struggles and stories, which is, like, super inspiring. And just listening to all of you guys speak about, like, your own path within fencing is really inspiring. How have you dealt with obstacles based on your gender and gender and or race in fencing? I think what also helped me as well, like when I go away to competition and um, I was exposed to a lot more racism um, of different kinds as well. They were very creative with it. Um, but what I experienced, um, what helped me was coming back home and speaking to my parents um, although they weren't there, speaking to somebody who obviously loves you so, so much and cares about you really helps and really, like, it just gives you the love and re like reassurance that you need, that you're not an aggressive person, even though people will attach that stereotype to a black woman, that you're not, you know, anything other than a good fencer. So definitely speak to your parents as much as you possibly can, I would recommend. I definitely have to second that, Aisha. Um, I felt like uh, that paintbrush was definitely yeah. all over um, us two as well. Um, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, small. Um, I'm a whole five ten. <laughs> so, and I was the only girl at the uh, at my fencing club. So I, you know, I was ready to. It's a contact sport. I just, I, it was just a lot. Um, and fencing women. I felt like people was ready to, to, to draw that card about, oh, you know, how aggressive you are. And um, and I felt like I fought with that myself quite a bit. 
because I wanted to look, you know, a, a bit more precise and everything. And I, talking to my family about it definitely held me down for sure. Um, because that's home, that's your base, that's who who know you, and we'll tell you the honest truth as well. I guess like one thing we didn't speak about yet is like gender. So I think um, I think that's important because I think. I, I do think things are changing, which I think is great. But I think when you just look at everyday life and the way men's sports have such a massive role in society versus women's sports, th- like the fact that we even call it the Women's World Cup because the World Cup is, is default assumed to be the Men's World Cup. You just think about that and the fact that, you know, you'll see a lot of times at competitions like the men's trophy will be way bigger than the women's one like for nationals or you know you'll win a women's open and you'll get like a little tiny little cup and the men the man will have this massive sword on a framed thing and you're sort of thinking hey wait a minute it's a bit weird like I I'm doing my master's right now at Oxford and I benched in their varsity match and the, the, the men who won the second had this massive trophy and the women who won the first got this like tiny little shield thing. So I think it's, it's, it's something that I hope it can change. But I think, you know, I'd really like to start seeing more equality in terms of um, support, especially that's provided from, from the Federation. Um, that's another conversation, but um, I was a bit frustrated with that throughout my career because at one point there were about six guys getting funding and I was ranked first and I in the country and I wasn't getting anything and and that kind of thing I think is unacceptable. Okay, so the last thing I have for you is there one thing you wish you could have you wish you could tell your younger self when you started fencing? I think I like went into the sport quite naively. Um, not that I regret fencing, but I think I wish I was like better prepared for it in terms of like emotionally dealing with the lack of diversity in terms of like other people of colour, but also in terms of like there being women present. I think I would tell myself to stop listening to the background noise because all those comments and like assumptions made of you are just not important. And now that I'm 24 years old, what? an old white coach from Italy thought of me at the age of 14 doesn't even matter so I just stopped listening to the background noise yeah I think I'd try to be a little bit more conscious about you know you know sometimes when you finish a competition you think about what happened but I think I was so focused on fencing that sometimes I didn't think about what I learned in in a in a deeper way and I think um, something I would, I would encourage younger fencers to do is to think about what your experiences in fencing are teaching you about life and how you can apply those things, whatever you go on to do, you know, if it's in school, if it's in work, socially, like you're going you're gonna to carry forward so many of those lessons. And, you know, it, sometimes in fencing, you think about all these technical things like, oh, I lost because my parry was like a little bit off. But in reality, it's usually things like, oh, I lost because I lost focus or I lost confidence. And those things are so much more important in the long run. So I would try and focus on some of those key lessons. I would say enjoy the journey. Don't just 
focus on results because it was kind of like, okay, you've done one competition, let's go back and train for the next one. We've got two weeks or we've got one week or, do you know what I mean? There was always this plan with me when I was in school. It was go to school, stay in the library till six, do all your work, make sure you've done the work for next week too, go to training, go home, go to bed. That was it. And I used to train like four hours a day. And it wasn't, it, it, when I think about it, it wasn't okay, even though I enjoyed little bits of it, but I didn't enjoy the journey. I wasn't embracing it. I was thinking about the competition on the weekend. I was just getting through the week. I would say enjoy the journey. And I could have taught a bit more rather than just let, just ignore the, the judgment. I felt like, you know, I could impact more if I did say things. When it comes to, you know, racial incidents, I was so angry I had to walk away instead of taking a breather and explaining, you know. Some people you can't budge and unfortunately that's just the way it is because of how they've been brought up and their environment. That's not your fault. But you can at least try to teach and try to show who you are a bit better. So, yeah, definitely the journey and um, trying to embrace the moment. The Muslim girls fence team at both Maslaha and British Fencing would like to thank Alia Itzkowitz, Aisha Fihosi, Mercedes Halliday Baptiste and Leah King for being so open and sharing their experiences with us. They were interviewed by Yvonne Chart. We know too well how assumptions and perceptions of who we are, whether in sport or in any other area, often doesn't come from us, but is imposed onto us. Whether like in this conversation, if it's support from our fathers, or being afforded the room to make mistakes and be ourselves, why will we never be the hometown girl? Why do we always have to work twice as hard? And why do we just feel safer in our own bubbles? Because the way societal structures function mean that there is only one or two of us in spaces like the ones the fence has described. People who are racialized, working class, and communities of faith are not hard to reach, but it's the environments that are hostile. If the dominant identity in that environment, consciously or unconsciously, treat people that way, it's because culturally, whether at home or in schools and public spaces, it's acceptable to do so. Systemically, that's what we see in sport, education, healthcare, housing, employment, and all areas of society, then this will continue, no matter how many Muslim women or women of color win medals. Dealing with all of this is an immense emotional strain and the impacts of racism on mental health and well-being is an ongoing but often overlooked struggle. This is what current and future MGF projects will be focusing on, as well as what Alia, Aisha, Mercedes and Leah discussed. Building networks, creating safe spaces and enjoying the journey. Please see the description to find out how to get in touch with us, follow us on socials and to find out more.